my name's Jack of Jack Check from King Crimson, and you're listening to the Progcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Progcast. With me today, calling from the UK, is Jaco Chakchik. Uh, I probably butchered that a little bit, sorry. Jaco Chakchik. Uh, <laughs> uh, welcome to the Progcast. Uh, thank you for taking the time and talking to us. The pleasure. Um, yeah, you have a new solo album uh, that's out actually on October 23rd um, and this episode uh, will come out a couple of days later so when you guys hear that episode <laughs> the album will already already be out and of course we want to know everything about it so I mean your solo career has been a little bit sporadic over the last uh, decades <laughs> Um, yeah. And now, now you kind of surprise us with a with a new solo album, a collection of very different songs and uh, and a lot of uh, guest uh, musicians as well. So we, I, I would, I'm I'm super interested in how how you you how you came to to collect these songs in this constellation. <laughs> Well, you know, there was a handful of songs I, I've been writing anyway. Um, and there's three songs um, that I presented to Robert that I've written for Crimson. And um, we would have this um, way of working where Robert would come to my studio and he might have a new riff or a new uh, set of chords or uh, invariably a twin guitar, double locked guitar thing. And I would record everything. And then when he goes away, I kind of reassemble stuff and write songs within it, around it. Um, and, um, uh, you know, there's a there's about four currently in the repertoire that we've written that way. Um, and some others that we will get around to doing at some point. Um, but there are three songs on this album that I took to him and he, uh, Well, we had this little joke, really, where he he would listen to the song and say, I, I think this is marvelous. I love this song. It'll be an ideal track for your next solo album. <laughs> Which, of course, is not very subtle code for we're not playing this. And um, <laughs> so I so I started to there was a there was some material that was starting to emerge that had a kind of collective thing about it. And then uh, there's a guy called Thomas Weber at uh, Inside Out Records. Yes. And he, for years, he's been uh, trying to encourage me to make a solo record um, very gently and, uh, uh, but, you know, but very nicely. So that was part of it. Um, and also I kept bumping into Peter Hamill, who, you know, I was a big fan of when I was a kid and uh, I've, I've been lucky enough to get to know him over the years. And, um, Whenever I bumped into him, he, he would say to me, have you started making that solo record? And I said, no, I haven't. And um, the last time I saw him and he said it again, I said, I'll tell you what, Peter, I'll make a solo record if you agree to be on it. And he said, of course. So, so one way or another. Um, and this year we weren't touring as much as we normally do. We were just going to do, normally we tour for about four months of the year. 
and 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 there's rehearsals and preparation and so it takes up a lot of time um and this year it was just going to be the one um tour in america so it seemed like an appropriate moment to try and do it uh it turns out it was an even freer year than i was hoping <laughs> yeah so um yeah look looking at your solo discography at least according to the prog archives your last oh, yeah. so solo album was waves sweep the sand in 2009 and you kind of self-released that or do you, you don't really look at that as a, an official release or no no my last solo record was called the bruise romantic glee club and um that was a double album and then a couple of years later i released as you say just kind of uh, you know just off my own bat i released this collection of pieces that were going to be on that or weren't on that or so they were kind of outtakes really so ah, okay it's an odds and sods record that one um, the, <laughs> the last proper album was uh bruise romantic glee club which is quite some time ago yeah um so why don't we talk a little bit about the um yeah a couple of the guests okay. that, that 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 you have on the album i mean for, yeah. first and foremost i i would say uh one um frequent collaborator would be Gavin Harrison, of course, with whom you are working for, for years and years now, uh, a lot longer than, than like he, he was in, like in, in Porcupine Tree. Uh, I, I saw he, he was playing with you already at the beginning of the nineties. Um, yeah. Well, I've known Gavin since the eighties. Wow. <laughs> uh, in fact, we were on tour last year. Uh, stuck backstage or on a tour bus somewhere, I can't remember. Uh, and Gavin was telling everybody about how he started in music and his father was a trumpet player um, and played for the BBC Light Orchestra and he played at the Talk of the Town here in London. Um, so Gavin came up through that route and he said, so he was used to, you go to the BBC, You record all these songs in the morning and you record some more in the afternoon. He said the first ever pop session he did completely freaked him out because he spent all day playing the same song <laughs> uh, and, they still, and they still hadn't finished. And I'm listening to this anecdote and someone said, wow, what was that session? He said it was one of his and it was me. It was the first and it was the first <laughs> time I'd worked with him. And I, I obviously really put him through the ringer, you know. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's he's been one of my best friends for for since then and uh and frankly i think he's the best drummer in the world uh, i just happen to know him as, as well so uh, <laughs> so he's he's always my first choice because he he plays so brilliantly he's got a fantastic sound a fantastic touch and he comes up with really interesting parts you know you you, you play him a demo of something and he might take the lead but on the whole he'll come up with something completely unique that you hadn't thought of so so he's always my drummer of choice yeah that, that w would have been another question uh, when you yeah when you are composing for your solo album or when you sat down and said okay now i'm gonna do it and then you invite all these uh, brilliant players if you kind of ask them to stick what you have in mind or if you invite them to Put their mark oh, I, on it <laughs> no no I, i i think you know sometimes you learn this lesson uh, uh the hard way <clears throat> i remember when i first worked with danny thompson double bass player very famous double bass player 
and he's unique and he's got his own sound. And I remember employing him and then get, trying to get him to play all the notes I'd written note for note. And of course you end up, it does, it sounds kind of, you know, what you need to do is say, look, you're Danny Thompson. This is kind of what, what I'm doing harmonically and let them be who they are. And I think you need to do that with the likes of Gavin or, cause you get to a point where you can employ a musician to play some notes or you end up employing that person because of what they do and how they sound, you know. Uh, you, speaking you, speaking of bass players, you you got quite some there, like four or five different uh, bass players on the record. <laughs> four. Four. I think it's four. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you did you like ha handpick them for which song needed which style? Well, um, I picked I picked uh, Tony Levin because the. The three of the songs he plays on were written for Crimson, so it made sense to get him to play on it. Um, <clears throat> there was another song uh, called um, The Trouble With Angels, and I knew he'd do a beautiful job, and he did. Fantastic job. Um, John Giblin, I've worked with a lot. I really like him. He, he always comes up with an unusual approach. So um, there was a, yeah, the song he plays on, I thought, I bet he'll come up with a slightly different, Uh, take on it rhythmically, which he did. Um, the opening track I used Mark King because I, I was in, I was lead guitarist in Level 42 for a number of years, so I got to know Mark very well. And he played on my last solo record, and he just, uh, Mark's got a load of energy, uh, and uh, he just, it, you know, whenever I've used him before, it just the whole track kind of lifts up. It takes a different take, so that's why I used him. And then there are two tracks with my son on because I'd run out of money by then and uh, I don't have to pay him anything. <laughs> That's not true. He's very good. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I, I, I already kind of um, said that the, the songs are in, in itself are quite, quite different. So how, how did you go about assembling them for this album and, and kind of arranging them f to form an album? Um, well, I think, you know, you start off, the material kind of dictates where you go in a way. Um, you know, if you're writing this very poignant song, um, it then tends itself to, to being sparser and maybe having a, a kind of ballad aspect to it. Um, whereas if you're angry, that's, you know, invariably the, 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 the song will dictate the, the nature of how you approach it. But then once you start it, I guess it's like painting or sculpting, you know, you start to think, oh, well, what about this and what about that? And and then you, when you're working on an album, I think there starts to be a point where you start to see connections and it becomes this body of work. And it takes a life of its own on, I think, um, in a way that, you know what I mean? In, in the way that just writing individual songs and sticking them together. I think once you start working on it collectively, you you start to find... Uh, reasons and, and, and approaches that, that kind of either coalesce together or actually go off as a result of what the previous thing was. So, yeah, it kind of, it starts to dictate itself, I think. And uh, lyrically, thematically, do all songs have like their own story or do they kind of also fell under an umbrella of, of, a, of a shared theme kind of? 
No, I think I think most of the songs are pretty specifically about something. Uh, <laughs> and they're about something that um, has either happened to me or has touched me on some level. Um, you know, there's there's a song on there called uh, The Rotters Club Is Closing Down, which is about a drummer called Pitt Pyro. He used to be the drummer in Hatfield in the North and National Health. And I started writing that lyric on the way home after his funeral. Um, and I knew him pretty well. So that's very specific. There's a, there's a song about being, being, um, being cheated on uh, and fooling yourself, which is something I've only been able to write with the, uh, the distance of about 20 years because <laughs> uh, it's too painful nearer the time. So yeah, there's a different, uh, different. I'm trying to think now. Um, yeah, no, they're, they're all, the lyrics are all pretty specific. There's nothing on there that's kind of amorphous or vague or open to interpretation. I guess the um, the song with the most the most recent video, which is coming out on Friday, although when this is broadcast, it will have been out a couple of weeks. I guess <laughs> yes. uh, was inspired again by a real incident. There's uh, a song called um, "Uncertain Times," which is is ultimately about the state of the world and uh, politically, I think, um, but was inspired specifically by the Brexit debate in England um, and something that happened on the night of the result where um, my adoptive father was Polish, which is why I have that name, but I, I'm not actually Polish at all. I was adopted. So um, there was a place that when my father was quite old, I used to take him regularly to in Hammersmith called the Polish Centre. And it, it's a cultural place. They have events, theatre, they've got a cafe, they've got a restaurant. So I used to take him there for lunch or dinner. So I, I have a nostalgia for that place. On the night of the uh, election result, um, the whole place was covered in racist graffiti. And I thought, wait a minute, this place has been here oh my goodness. for 50, 60 years and is partly here. Uh, as acknowledgement of the polls' um, uh, involvement uh, 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 with England and the Allies during the Second World War. So it seems particularly ironic. Um, so I, I posted something about it on Facebook, and um, I started to get all this hate mail, um, people writing to me saying, uh, we won, you lost, why don't you fuck off home? Uh, and uh, it just, it just made me realize just how divisive that whole argument had become and how it had legitimized these really unpleasant right-wing tendencies in people. Um, and it's the danger of populist politics, I think. And we see it in England with Boris uh, and we see it particularly in America with Donald Trump, you know, um, yeah. proselytizing simplistic answers to very complicated questions, you know. Um, and it's it's genuinely quite scary, I think. Um, it so, is indeed. Um, yeah. So so this this name kind of sticks out as uh, I think one of the last King Crimson tours, or or like two or three years ago, the King Crimson tour yeah. was named "Uncertain Times." Yeah. It's Robert's <laughs> title, and I thought I will write a song with that title. Uh, and I had the subject matter, so I wrote the song. I took it to him. Um, he seemed to like it at first and then then he lost interest in it and then oh, well okay well I'll do it then um, so uh, yeah so I uh, I need to give him a writing credit for the title alone um, but yeah that's 
It was indeed uh, a, a, the name of a Crimson Tour a few years back. Yeah. It uh, back then already I felt it uh, pretty yeah poignant for that time already and but now a couple of years later even more so which even is so, which yeah. is as you said quite scary um but you you just mentioned uh, a couple of times already that you you tend to do these uh, writing sessions with robert every now and then so is is there any any hope that there's uh, something uh, coming out of that <laughs> At some point, spin it out, spin it out. You mean, will there be a new King Crimson album? Is that yes. what you're asking? Uh, listen, you know, there's enough material. Uh, I we 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 have within our repertoire already uh, somewhere in the region of 40 minutes plus, I think, um, of new stuff. Uh, and as I say, there's other stuff written that we haven't ad adapted, and um, I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is. It's down to Robert, really, um, as as are all things crimson. Um, I think I think there is a, there is an issue in a way in that you know even before the pandemic we live in a different world. You know, um, uh, you know we we used to tour to promote an album, um, and now we tour because that's how we earn our living. Right. Um, And, and if anything, you know, if you have an album out at the same time, it's almost a memento of the tour rather than the other way around, you know, because, you know, sales are uh, through the floor and, um, you know, that, that kind of world doesn't exist anymore. So I'm sure that's part, part of the reason. <clears throat> you know, it's a big band. Uh, and whilst I'm sure we could do this uh, by file sharing, I, I'm, I'm sure Robert would rather we were all in a room together. Mm -hmm. um, but that's quite an undertaking. Um, uh, and a costly one at that, you know. Um, and of course, in this current climate, we can't even do it. Yeah. Um, we can't fly um, the Americans over to England or, uh, and all the uh, inherent equipment and everything. So um, our, our manager, when asked this question, uh, is, is fond of replying with, a, with the following answer. Uh, there are no plans to record a new King Crimson album. However, there are no plans not to. <laughs> That's a very diplomatic answer. <laughs> Isn't it just? Yeah, so I'm going to stick with that. Um, yeah, talking about King Crimson, you've been a part of that legendary band for quite some years now and did many tours in the last years. I always wondered, as a, as a singer, do you take a different approach on the different eras? If you, like... If you sing a song that was originally sung by Greg Lake or um, John Wetton or Adrian Bellew, or do you just disregard what what was before and make it your own? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I guess the, the the truth is that you know, I was I was 13 when I first saw King Crimson live, so all that music that's what I was listening to, so. That all of those albums uh, informed the way that I sing anyway. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Right. So I I I sing them like me. That's 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 what I'm trying to do. I'm not deliberately trying to sound like anybody. But I think the fact that I, I my 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 kind of musical DNA was immersed in all of that stuff as I was growing up means that if it does work, and hopefully it does, 
that's why you know because i my how i sing was informed by the people that sang that stuff originally adrian Ballou's stuff is a, is a different matter altogether um but i still see no point in doing anything other than trying to sing like me which is why you know when robert suggested we do in discipline i thought i don't know how i can do this because the verses are like kind of uh, you know very american beat poetry really and i thought well how can I do that? And Robert's original suggestion was, why don't you write brand new lyrics and make them very English and make them very personal to you? And I tried that and I thought, I, I don't feel comfortable with this. But then I thought, you know what? There's music going on. Why don't I write a melody to the existing lyric? Um, and of course, the, you know, the, the, the scan of the words means that the melody is not a kind of standard melody. Um, and then uh, as a consequence, I, I recorded the, the guitar playing the melody that I'd written, and then I recorded the vocal on, on top of it using it as a guide. And I think I must have accidentally given Robert a mix with the guitar in. And he said, actually, keep the guitar in. I think it sounds great, <laughs> like you're scatting it. So then we ended up with a, actually quite a different version of, of the song, which uh, I think works on its own terms and is not, is not a merely a replica of the original. That, that's very cool. Uh, any any favorite King Crimson songs to perform for you personally? Well, <laughs> they they kind of change. Um, okay. And sometimes you know, sometimes a favorite is partly down to the venue you're 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 performing it in. Uh, for instance, singing Epitaph mm -hmm. in Hiroshima was an extraordinary moment. Um, the the venue in Hiroshima is literally about a two minute walk from where the bomb went off. It's yeah. right next to the museum. So that, you know, that stands out. Um, I love singing Islands. That was the band, that version of the band was the band I first saw live. Um, and I love that album and I love Boz's singing. He's much, he's much maligned by some of the, the, the Crimson fan base, but I, I thought he was fantastic. Um, yeah, I love singing Easy Money. Oh, I don't know that, as I say, <laughs> it changes. Funnily um, enough, just on my on my way here to the studio, I was uh, specifically listening to Easy Money and Epitaph from the from the Radical Action, to, okay. and, uh, whatever the long name is of that yeah. album. <laughs> um, and and as I was listening to Epitaph and and you singing it, I was thinking, wow, this is much like uncertain times this still rings so true and and yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. it it kind of hit me because that always uh, since i discovered um king crimson and and all the old stuff um that was one song that stood out for me like emotionally as very very hard hitting and and yeah. emotionally heavy um and yeah i was like damn all those years later, it's still relevant. Still relevant, yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> so, um, rounding off the interview about your music, would you consider yourself a writer, a singer, or a guitar player, first and foremost? <laughs> Have you ever thought uh, about that? Uh, well, I tell you what I do. Robert said to me uh, that um, he said to me, all lead singers are a pain in the ass. And I said that. Uh, I'm a singer, Robert. And he said, no, 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 you're a guitarist that sings. <laughs> so, uh, um, and I, I guess, I guess I think I'm that. Um, 
and I do think I'm a, a writer, a composer, uh, but I, you know, I'm not always in a place where uh, where that can be utilised uh, in other things that I've done. But yeah, and I um, and I like to try and do different things. I've done uh, three commissions for Radio Three in England, which are which are like kind of quasi classical pieces, and um, one of the pieces uses speech as part of the composition. Uh, and I was going to do a live version of that at the Edinburgh Festival this year as a one man show. So, yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's probably composition more than anything. But <laughs> hey, listen, I'm, I'm happy to do whatever, whatever job comes in. All right. Uh, here at the broadcast, we have a little section that we like to call what's in your Walkman. So I would like to ask you, what have you been listening to lately? Is there anything you want to recommend to our listeners? Yes. I do. Uh, that sounds good. There's a couple of things. There's a band that I have to say, my, my, I, I have an 18-year-old son uh, who, in an attempt to stop me whinging on about how there's no interesting music these days, continually plays me extraordinary things that I would never have heard of. Um, and um, uh, one of the things which I love is, is a band called Bobbing. Okay. Uh, And there's a track called Shrugging Match. I've forgotten the name of the album, or did I write it down? But they're brilliant, I think. Um, so, uh, hang on. Um, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of, there's another band he's a fan of called Everything Everything. Do you know them? Yes, I have heard about them. And I know a couple of my friends, uh, they, they like them very much. Yeah, there's a great song. Uh, if I were to name one tune that I like, is a song called Schooling by everything, everything. Um, what else? There's a band called um, uh, Go Go Penguin. Do you know them? Yes, yes. That's I actually listened to their last EP or album a couple of months back. was also a recommendation of a good friend of mine. They're really cool, jazzy. Yeah, really good. But young guys, you know, that's yeah. the thing. Um, and my son is forever playing me really genuinely interesting thing that, things. And you, you think, wow, this is, you know, what the hell have they been listening to? And, um, but, but a lot of it's really genuinely very exciting. So uh, I think there's, there's some really good music out there. It's just, it's not always easy to find. Yeah. I also have uh, three recommendations for this week, for this episode, uh, starting with organ-driven prog rock from the United States, the second album of a project called Theo. That's uh, the prog rock project by the organist uh, Jim Alfredson. And yeah, the second album, Figureheads, is out on Generation Prog Records since uh, the end of September. And uh, from Poland, actually, the guitarist of uh, Riverside, Maciej Meller, uh, put out, I think, his debut solo album, Zenith. And I listened to a little bit and that sounded really good so i'm really looking forward to exploring that album and finally i really can't get enough of the debut album the self-titled debut album of uh, the american band gargoyle they are kind of classified as grunge prog rock but i definitely hear a lot of 90s king crimson in there and it's just a lot of fun and great vocal harmonies and really cool wanky rhythms and stuff so that's a really really fun album I, i i keep coming back to i 
um, had also the pleasure to interview the guitarist Dave a couple of weeks back. So if you haven't listened to that episode, you can go back and check that out as well. Thank you so much, Jacko, for taking the time. Um, all the best with your solo album, Secrets and Lies, out on Inside Out now, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, fingers crossed, uh, we will be able to see you again next year or the year after at one point on stage. At some point, at some point. let's hope <laughs> so, yeah. For all our sakes. Yeah, I had the pleasure of seeing you in Stuttgart a uh, couple oh, okay. of years ago and that was yeah i took my father and uh, it was a, a memorable evening oh brilliant lovely all right that uh, leaves me uh, uh with a yeah my my last final words for every episode take care of yourselves take care of your loved ones and listen to great music the broadcast is a production of stuus media and is presented by the Prague space It is produced by Randy M. Salo, Janine Stengel-Lewis, Blake Lewis, and Dario Albrecht. Our theme music is by This Is Not An Elephant, and Van Kirsch does our graphics. New episodes of the podcast drop every Monday and Thursday. And don't miss our Friday Top 5 episode where we discuss our favorite new releases from that week. For more interviews and reviews in the written form, check out theprogspace.com. <laughs>